You're listening to Single Payer Radio, a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. And we're happy to bring you a program today about many of the aspects of Medicare, what it is, what it does, what it does really well and where it is liking and what we think about it in terms of a model for a healthcare system that could really cover us all, which is what Kentuckians for single payer healthcare really wants to happen. Every human being deserves healthcare and uh, all the healthcare that they need to live uh, an enjoyable and productive life. Uh, this is WFMP LP, uh, 106.5 FM forward radio. And I'd like to just let you know that the opinions that are expressed are those of the speakers and not of the station. And so we'll get started here uh, with a program and we hope that you'll continue to tune in. Our uh, programs are on uh, Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays and you can find them archived at forwardradio.org, or you can connect to them at kyhealthcare.org, which is the website of our organization. So welcome to the program, and our first person to begin is Mary Radford. Oh, thank you, Kay. Yeah, um, hi, everyone. My name is Mary Radford. Um, I'm a nurse locally here at um, in Louisville, Kentucky, and I've been a member of Kentuckians for single-payer health care um, for a number of years now. I think um, I think I might be coming up on, I don't know, I, mean, I think it's been over five at this point. Time just kind of flies um, when you're having fun and fighting for um, the rights of Americans, right? Um, so one interest I have in particular is uh, the history of um, activism, um, people's history, um, stuff like that. So in light of the upcoming uh, Medicare birthday coming up here in July, um, I thought it would be kind of interesting to just provide a little bit of an overview to the history of getting Medicare here in the United States. And the sources I'm going to use for this, um, I'm going to use from our pnhp.org website, a transcription from a talk that um, Karen Palmer gave at one of the um, PNHP meetings um, in 1999. Um, she gave this in a meeting in San Francisco. So some of this is gonna be from her transcriptions. Um, I'm gonna use some sources from medicareadvocacy.org and a, a US news article entitled Desegregation, the Hidden Legacy of Medicare. So um, it's interesting, you know, I, I kind of feel somewhat sometimes every generation thinks that they've, they themselves have come up with all the best ideas on their own. But, you know, the, there's been some form of um, campaign for universal government funded health care that actually goes back to uh, the 1800s. Um, we started seeing a lot of um, developed, other developed countries like in Europe, um, Germany, for example, Great Britain, Russia, um, the Netherlands, um, Sweden, you know, kind of famously has this universal healthcare system. 
And um, they really started forming these things all the way back in, um, you know, 1883 in Germany, 1891 in Sweden. Um, Denmark started with their universal system in 1892, France in, in um, 1910. So there's actually a lot of really good um, history and a lot of good building blocks for this concept of a universal government funded healthcare system that stretches back pretty far. Um, there was starting to be talks of this uh, at that time as well here in the United States. Um, at this time, you know, there wasn't really even health insurance to speak of at this time. Um, you know, people got sick and um, didn't necessarily have insurance, particularly, you know, if, if you weren't like a wealthy person, if you were working class or poor and you got sick, I mean, you really didn't have any options. Um, there was no plan to make a, a federal um, system for healthcare. It was really left up to the states and just that disenf just disenfranchised um, or uh, fractured kind of healthcare systems that varied from state to state, which, you know, didn't work really well. So um, around the turn of the century, there was a lot um, what's known as like the progressive era. So when Theodore Roosevelt was president, um, we, there was more turns to the thoughts about having um, improved social conditions for the working class. Uh, and this, you know, had some push and pull to it. You, it, it had its supporters, but it also had its dissenters, um, largely because, you know, a lot of people at this time, um, there was a lot of uh, labor unions. Um, there was uh, more socialist parties that were, that were growing and campaigning in the United States. And, you know, in the U.S., there's, there's always been some anxiety around, you know, anything um, involving socialism or even kind of looking like socialism. So it, um, it, got, it got pretty fraught. There was, there was a lot of disagreements and a lot of back and forth. But in 1906, the um, American Association of, uh, of Labor Legislation um, that was formed finally got to hell, um, hold a, a campaign for health insurance. So this is kind of where we're finally starting to get this ball rolling for having, you know, at least some type of um, health insurance, healthcare for working class and poor people. Um, interestingly, and unfortunately, some of the um, detractors from this system was the American Medical Association. There was a lot of anxiety from a lot of different doctors in the US about, you know, what's this going to do to their payments is, you know, and, I think it goes back to a lot of that kind of anxiety about, you know, socialism and government, uh, government overreach and oversight, stuff like that, excuse me. Um, so over those years, and I won't, I won't go into too much detail about this, but over the years, there was, you know, more committees being um, put into place, argued about, you know, amongst, um, amongst the government and amongst industry and, um, you know, particularly surrounding um, fights for uh, labor, things like that, um, specifically during, um, you know, the Great Depression and um, those kinds of fights as well. 
So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to um, when we really actually saw Medicare go into it go into effect in um, the um, excuse me. Um, the uh, Medicare Act of 1964. Um, so finally, after all of this time, we got a little more for, um, for people in order to access healthcare. And this is what we now know today as Medicare that protects you know, um, our, our older population, 65 and older, and then our disabled populations as well. And um, I think what's really interesting um, that's been shared with me by Kay that people don't talk about a lot or isn't as well known is that um, the inaction of or the um, initiation of Medicare was actually a really important, um, had an important social impact on the civil rights movement, which was signed into law in 1964. Um, because at this point now, these hospitals that um, were receiving Medicare dollars starting in 1965 would find themselves in violation of the, um, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 if they were continuing to practice segregation within their hospitals. Um, because the 1964 Civil Rights Act states, quote, uh, no person in the United States shall on grounds of race, color, or national origin be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjugated to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So basically that's saying like, hey, hospitals, you want this government money, you have to make sure you're not discriminating from, um, from any patients that need to come and receive care. Uh, so in order to certify whether or not hospitals were violating the Civil Rights Act, um, the Department of Health, Education and Welfare was charged to see if hospitals were, uh, who were collecting Medicare, Medicare dollars were sufficiently integrating or not. And um, this is a really interesting um, piece of our civil rights history, I think, because it doesn't get a lot of fanfare, you know, even at the time, like this was not very heavily reported on in the press. People didn't really know about this on a large scale. Um, like we did, you know, um, integrating public restrooms, water fountains, restaurants, things like that. And the reason for this is that the um, health and education welfare secretary, John Gardner, uh, for whatever reason, I couldn't really figure it out. Um, he didn't want to create a lot of press about this. He wanted to keep it kind of quiet. But he also recognized that this was going to be a really enormous task of getting all of these hospitals to um, integrate. And also his staff was pretty small. I think there was only about five people who were like actually tasked and being paid to do this work of integrating the entire healthcare system of the United States. So he put out this kind of silent call uh, to different civil rights organizations and um, activists that could do an investigation in all these different um, healthcare facilities 
and actually see if um, and collect data to see if these um, these you know these facilities were actually integrating or not. And because of these efforts, it was pretty substantial. Um, over a thousand of these hospitals were integrated fully within four months of doing this investigation. So I just thought that was a really interesting piece. And um, we can kind of move on the discussion from there. Um, but I just thought that was a really interesting piece of this history, you know, and the way that having a system in place that is meant to uh, be a benefit to society as a whole can have, um, you know, other, other, um, other really positive impacts on society. Thank you so much, Mary. That was really a very interesting summary of the history of our Medicare and that story about its important role in uh, bringing about uh, a more just society, I think is crucial and shows what a federal program uh, that covers everybody really can do in terms of change. So thank you, Mary Radford, for that uh, piece of history that we needed to know. And our next speaker is Harriet Seiler. Thank you, Kay and, and Mary, that was just great. I'm Harriet Seiler, and you will be able to tell from my non-Kentucky accent that I was born and raised in Canada. I'm an American citizen now, and I fight pretty hard um, so that my American compatriots can have the kind of Medicare, Medicare for all, like they have in Canada. Now, I know you've all heard the propaganda that people have to wait for treatment up there. Well, they might wait for a hip or knee replacement for something that is non-essential. It's essential if it's painful, but it is not like a heart attack. So, um, I mean, you in Canada, you may wait uh, maybe three to five months or something for a a knee replacement. However, no bill will ever come in the mail, not for the surgery, not for the uh, physical therapy that follows it, etc. So that's why I fight for this. But I do want to um, say something about, um, well, the whole of Mary's talk, which was very, very interesting to me, um, and the one thing right now in healthcare, it doesn't matter wh whether you're looking which um, insurance company or, um, you know, the Center for Medicaid Services and Medicare Services, they're always talking about equity. And Kay, I know, is going to talk about that later. But when Mary talked about the integration of the hospitals, I really almost want to tear up. Mary, can, have you got that quote again? You cannot deny according to race. I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, not at all. Um, can you no read that person, again? Yeah, no person in the United States shall or on, excuse me, on the ground of race, color, or national origin be excluded from participation in be denied the benefits of 
or be subjugated to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Thank you, Mary, because there all the points are made about equity. Equity according to race, non-discrimination, if you're poor, etc., or if you're sick already, for example, they can't deny you care. So we're talking about traditional basic Medicare, one of the most equitable programs you can imagine when it's done properly or when it isn't, um, you know, when we don't have cutbacks as sometimes happens. Um, but I do want to now uh, talk about um, what's happening to Medicare, not to traditional Medicare. It's in danger of happening to traditional Medicare, but we have these plans now. And if you watch TV, you know about it, or maybe you get scam calls about it called Medicare Advantage. Mm, and, yes. and, and I hear boo and hiss from Larry, one of oh, the yes. members of our group. But med, in fact, he likes to call it, uh, Larry, tell us again what you call it, Medicare. Oh, disadvantage? Disadvantage, right. But Medicare Advantage plans are, I tried to go back and find out when they were started. And apparently they're, they're sort of an offshoot of employer plans that came out uh, around 2004, um, Kirk might know about that, uh, around 2004, 2005, when employers were um, adding little, they were adding more benefits to the what they call the HMOs and the PPOs. So these, medi and I think Kay said she had heard maybe the term Medicare plus or something. But anyway, it's become a very common term now, Medicare Advantage. And in that you're supposed to get not just Medicare treatment for your medical uh, surgical items and hospitalization and everything, but also maybe they kind of promise, maybe dental, maybe vision, maybe a ride to the doctor, maybe a grocery shopping trip. The thing is, we are getting these ads now, and I, I am not real familiar with all these football players, but we're getting ads from Joel Namath, and the latest is Joe Montana. And these are big, strapping, healthy-looking older guys. I mean, they're kind of attractive-looking to an older woman like me. However, they're making all these ridiculous promises that you know are not being kept in counties in Kentucky. You can be sure that they are not um, offering these grand Medicare Advantage plans across our state. Now, maybe in the Louisville area, they will drive you to the doctor. I'm, you know, the thing is, we we need to get more information. And um, 
all the retired school teachers in uh, Kentucky have a Medicare Advantage plan. Um, and they are even contacting the head of the health insurance branch for the retired Kentucky teachers to complain. They say, well, how come I'm not getting all this stuff that Joe Namath and Joe Montana, Montana, and there's someone else, Jimmy Dynamite Walker. He's another one who makes these promises. So we've got to put a stop to these false promises. But those aren't the only things that Medicare Advantage plans are doing, uh, uh, what, are perpetrating on the public, crimes against the public. Um, they are also guilty in many states. They've been accused of fraud. They have been accused of something called upcoding. They tell the government this patient is, is really sicker, sicker than they really are. And so we need more money for that patient. Instead of get, giving us, you know, 500 bucks for that patient, that patient is, really has some kind of heart ailment and you've got to give us more money. And they take that money from the Medicare trust fund and that fund covers all of Medicare, and that is funded by the taxpayers. So taxpayers are being ripped off by these companies, and they are insurers, the big insurers, Humana, Cigna, United Health, I've forgotten the names of some of Anthem, Anthem, etc. And uh, they are, um, well, they're robbing the public purse. And we must put a stop to it. It's people don't realize. Um, now I'm sure I'm babbling on as usual, uh, but I I just want you all to know that the promises and and I mean when you get a scam call and they're promising you a deal on Medicare Advantage, just hang up and say I believe in traditional Medicare and. Taxpayers should not be robbed by these big insurers. The ultimate was this morning's news, and today is July the 15th. United Healthcare just declared profits of over $5 billion for the last quarter, whatever what you call it, Q2 or something. Now, and then a a few hours later, they decided they were going to take the cap off insulin, the copay off insulin. Oh. Well, just as of today, it was tweeted that United Healthcare is going to take the, I think it's copay, don't quote me on that, but go, you can find it on Twitter, off insulin. And I'm sure they did it because their face looked so terribly dirty after blackened dirty, I mean, uh, from this uh, profit, their latest profits. And they're making the profits by signing people up to Medicare Advantage. And people are eager to sign up. They think they're getting a great deal. 
And it might be a great deal until you get really sick. You know, you get cancer when you turn 70 or something. And all of a sudden, you know what? United Healthcare or the Medicare Advantage Insurer might not be there for you. I think it's time for me to stop and move on. Kay, you tell us where to go next. Thank you so much, Harriet, for that uh, uh, explanation of what's happening with Medicare Advantage, which is the privatized part of Medicare. And uh, my name is Kay Tillow. I'm a lifelong union activist, and I currently spend my time working to promote national single-payer health care. And in addition to the Medicare Advantage, which Harriet talked about, which now has taken over about 46% of our Medicare money, using more money for profit and overhead than traditional Medicare. And the Medicare Advantage uses about 15%, traditional Medicare about 2%. That means less money goes into care. But on top of that, we have a new problem, which is that there is a new pilot program that seeks to take the rest of Medicare, the 54% of people who have chosen to stay in original Medicare, and open that up to venture capital, private equity, and insurance companies in a new program called Direct Contracting Entities, which is in place now uh, across the country and will be replaced in 2023 by something called ACO REACH. Uh, both of those programs are seeking to do away with the traditional Medicare and put all of Medicare open to the profit makers. And it really is a threat to destroy us. Here in Kentucky, three of them are operating, one called Oak Street. It's in the Indian Trail Shopping Center. There's one in Pikeville called Illumid, and there's one in Murray, Kentucky called Village MD. And uh, these are a real threat to us. It's a bit complex, but basically they can use up to 40% of the Medicare for profit and overhead. And they are working to turn Wall Street into the middleman for all of our Medicare. They are a threat to the program that we love that covers our seniors and that we hope to turn into a program that will cover all of our people. So I would encourage everyone to uh, go to kyhealthcare.org and uh be a part of the opposition of this privatization of our Medicare program. You can sign a petition to President Biden to find out about it, read up on the website, lots of videos and PowerPoint slideshows and all kinds of things. And if you want us to come to your organization and talk about it, we'd be glad to do it. You just get in touch with us at nurse, NPO at AOL.com, or you can get there from the website. And now I'd like to introduce uh, someone who is an expert on uh, 
pharmaceutical programs uh, in Medicare and for seniors. And he's a dear friend and a longtime union activist, Kirk Gillenwaters. Thank you very much, Kay. But one thing I am not is an expert, <laughs> but I am an activist, um, Kirk Gillenwaters. And once again, uh, I'm a retired UAW member, having worked at the Ford Motor Company here in Louisville, Kentucky. I've been heavily involved uh, in union activities, uh, especially stuff relating to politics for over 40 years. I've worked with Kay. Uh, fortunately, I think uh, the UAW, we were one of the first local unions here to get on board with a single payer health care. Uh, years ago when this just uh, this started out with um, uh, Congressman Dingle there and our Connors. Uh, but I'd like to mention just like what Mary had been talking about, about the union, the labor's involvement, uh, you know, with healthcare years ago, you know, and, and we have pretty well always been on the forefront of negotiating for our workers in order to provide better care and, and longer term care after after their uh, time in the workplace for their retirement. And so we've been very, very proud to lead this fight across the country. And what Harry was talking about uh, was about the, the taxpayers' cost and not being robbed. And so, so much of this is going to all tie in right there together. And then when Kay was just now mentioning about how we were talking about the profits being taken out of Medicare. And so what I'm going to talk about today uh, is on the uh, Medicare, the pharmaceutical drug program, the Medicare Part A, B, C, and D. I'm not an expert on this by any means, but what I'm going to do is just bring you, this is something that almost all of us seniors are affected by every single day because most of us are on some kind of a maintenance drug. And by that, that's a drug that we take almost primarily every single day. And so we, we live with this in order to try to maintain uh, a good quality of life uh, at this age. And so uh, we're affected by the cost involved. Um, and that's that's where we're at. I mean, Americans pay the highest prices for prescription drugs in the world. And our older uh, and retired Americans, we're the ones that take the most medications to stay healthy, just like what I was talking about, and often lived on fixed incomes. And the average income for uh, seniors here in the United States is $26,000. So when we think about those of us over 65 trying to maintain uh, a healthy lifestyle, but the cost involved of our drugs, especially when we're on a fixed income. And, and this is how with the inflation rates that we've been seeing here uh, this past year, the out of control, that has affected also our cost of drugs right there. And so many Americans, as a matter of fact, 25%, one out of four Americans across the country right now that are seniors, they are deciding each day whether either to skip a dose of drugs or to, um, to cut them in half or to literally just not fill a prescription because of cost right there. And so this gets us into what's been going on the last this last year of trying to attack, bring the attention to the need to act today on lowering the price of prescription drugs. And this is what I really want to emphasize right here. We've had two bills this past year that's addressed this issue. One of them was HR 5376. Um, and what that bill did back in November, 2021, it, allow, it would allow the Department of Health and Human Services to negotiate for lower drug prices for people covered under Medicare and private insurances. And it was also cap the Medicare prescription drug costs at $2,000. Now 
there's an average of about $6,000 a year uh, across America that seniors are actually paying. This bill would also cap the insulin cost at $35 a month. That passed out once again back in November. We just in March, we had the HR 6833. This legislation also dealt with the, the price on the insulin. Uh, and it was also to address the changing of um, many of, for those on diabetes uh, that have diabetes and all and addressing those issues right there. So these bills were also put into the Build Back Better bill that we had heard about that President Biden had pushed for uh, coming out of the pandemic here. Uh, there has been absolutely no action taken upon either of these bills or, for that goes, the Build Back Better bill. So we knew we were going to be doing this show, but then just this past week on July the 7th in the Senate, uh, Senator Schumer came out with a new piece that's being brought in it for advancement in the Senate, and it's the Prescription Drug Pricing Reform Bill. And they're going to the parliamentarian of the Senate to ask to see if we can do a standalone bill where they would just do a reconciliation vote right there where it could be passed with 51 votes instead of the majority of the 60 votes. So uh, Senator Schumer has been meeting with Senator Manchin to put this legislation together. And so with the pharmaceutical drug industry to lower the cost of drugs. And we know that the Kentucky senators uh, have not mentioned any support favorability for this whatsoever. It goes back to 2003 when we had the last um, Medicare reform bill. And this is what set Medicare not being able to intervene on the cost of drugs. And so we've been living with this for almost 20 years now. And so we've seen now the cost involved of extracting money from Medicare and with what Kay was saying about the profits. When we see the drug industry, you look at the stock prices of some of these drug companies from $410, I think it is, for uh, Biogen, uh, Merck's $177. Uh, Kay was talking about the, the profits that we just seen with some of these insurance companies. So we've got the ability to do something about this now and the time is here now to address this. Uh, the whole aspect that the government hasn't been able to negotiate for Medicare to allow those costs to lower drugs, but let's think about the, what the government is allowed to negotiate for. They're allowed to negotiate for airplanes, for <laughs> military weapons, for <laughs> yeah. the computers, the pens, the papers, everything that this government provides for the, the services of this country, we're allowed to negotiate except for one thing, and that's for the cost of, of prescription drugs. So uh, there's so much information out here that pertains to, um, to what these costs are. And, and part of it, if we can refer back to being able to do the, the, this bill, and I've looked at this bill, it's 190 pages. And so I've, I've gotten through, I think, 123 pages so far. <laughs> uh, 
and I've asked for some other information on this, but what they would do to try to uh, maximize what the low cost price of a drug would be. But here's one of the, the hitches upon what this program would, would be. And the only means that we can do to force the companies to negotiate with us is either by levying a tax on them, which is in this bill, or a fine and penalty. And for falsely giving information uh, to the uh, to the Medicare uh, Center for Medicare Services and for the Secretary for the Health, Health, if you gave any false information, you could have a fine up to $100 million um, on, on doing the cost of the drug over what the inflation rate was because as of January the 1st, we just seen all the Medicare drugs. They basically went up at 5 and 6% almost across the board. There was some that actually went up to as high as 16% right then. So uh, this would be part of the formula for uh, this prescription drug pricing reform bill. And um, it's scary because we still know with the way the bill was written that it still provides protection for them to, on a competitive basis to try and that's the difference between having drugs. And I love this term that they used, uh, the monopoly drugs. Right. <laughs> you know, we all know what a monopoly is. We all know right. what the Sherman Antitrust Act is. But then once again, what, was, what took place in 2003 on that Medicare bill then has allowed uh, the industry to literally to monopolize prescriptions to us. And the most important thing when we see, I know so many people doesn't like to take a generic drug, but for the life of me, you know, usually that generic drug is the same thing. They've just run out on, on the protection part of the patent on this. Uh, but what I found really interesting out here right now, I don't know uh, how many of the listeners out there are keeping up with what Mark Cuba is doing, but Mark has a uh, drugs for cost uh, program he's putting together and what he's he, what he's advocating is um, he's taking the, the generic drug and he's pricing it at 15% over cost plus $3 for the pharmaceutical labor aspect and then $5 for shipping. And the, the, the billions that would say it's around four and a half billion dollars right there that would be saved by Medicare. If they, if we just use his program on the generic drugs right there. So uh, we're going to hear, I think, within the next few weeks, because this bill, the only chance it has to pass, it has to be done in the month of August. And because we know, uh, we, we see those of us seniors, we're the ones that go to the polls. We're the ones that have been hit the hardest by this inflation rate that we've seen here in the last seven, eight months. And so this is one issue right here that can, can help our quality of life but at the same time to be able to take some of this profit away from what has been taken out of Medicare. And once again, to, to allow a little more protection for taxpayers and the bottom line is it for us to save some money out of our own pockets. So I do ask the most important thing that seniors need right now. And when we look at polling, this is polling, I think the heart research firm, they just had a polling that they put out uh, 80, well, it was 86% of the voters that are Democrat voted for this. 
our, our support is 81% of Republicans support the right for Medicare to be able to negotiate for lower prices with the pharmaceutical drugs. So uh, this is my message that I, that I give to everyone today. You can vote Democrat or Republican. That's up to you or Dem- or independent. But I know Kay's going to thank you in a minute. But I do want to add something. The teachers that are um, the retired school teachers in Kentucky that are on Medicare Advantage, they've been asked to have their DNA analyzed so that the insurer might be able to recommend a less expensive drug. Now, if it's a generic and a generic works, that's fine. But I personally am pretty, well, it won't happen to me because I'm not in Medicare Advantage, but I find that that's really skullduggery in my opinion. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Take your DNA and they could tell you anything, you know. Orwellian. Yeah. Orwellian. Orwellian. Yeah. You know, one of the things I forgot to mention was the fact that how um, the VA, the Veterans Administration, they're allowed to to negotiate with pharmaceutical drugs companies right there. And then also Medicaid state by state right there. So, you know, we're we're trying to get what, what I would call a level playing field, but the bottom line it's it who this helps and it helps the ta- not only the taxpayers but it helps those of us seniors that's trying to 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 make our monthly payments on the things that we have to pay for so. incredible research thank you so much thank you for that kirk and everybody should do what he asks and prescription drug pricing reform yeah and and this 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 should be a standalone bill as long as the parliamentary of the senate declares that uh, we can do this on reconciliation because oh. the, the only means that we have to get this passed is with the 51 votes. Um, and and because of the fact that they had worked with Senator Manchin, we're, we're pretty sure that we've got the 50 votes. <laughs> if they've got him in line. Huh? <laughs> okay, well, and incidentally for all of you single-payer supporters, this particular idea of... Um, using uh, the power of Medicare to negotiate drug prices really is a part of uh, the single payer legislation. It's a section of it that is meant to bring the drug prices into line. It's what Canada uses and their drugs are what, 40% cheaper or something. I think something like that. Um, It's called using monopsony buying power where there's only one buyer so this uh, Medicare is a big buyer could bring down those those prices because they're not listening to us. So thank you so much, Kirk. And now I would like to introduce uh, someone who is a Medicare recipient and will speak about his experience with that. He's Larry Hofkamp. Can you hear me? Yes. I have problems with the sound. Can Sounds you hear me? Good. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, I have problems with sound this computer. I can't explain why. But uh, I guess if you can hear me and we can get on the radio, I'll go ahead and talk. Uh, uh, 
I guess the main reason I get invited, some- got invited here is because like all of us our age, eventually we'll get on Medicare. Uh, reach that age that I am um, eligible for it, and I took advantage of it. But I wasn't prepared to get co-paid in my situation. I recently had a biopsy done for, on my prostate gland, and uh, oh, I received some uh, very huge bills. Uh, one was for $136.35. That was to, uh, uh, I don't know, am, am I allowed to name a specific place? Hello? Yes. Oh, am I allowed to name a specific place? Well, I'll, I'll just say the surgery center and leave it at that. I paid $136.30 for my appointment on April 11th of this year. And then I received another bill. This is from the urologist. It was for $366.04. Now, uh, there were credits to it, but then the rest were, of course, co-payments, uh, extra charges. And even with the credits, as I mentioned, uh, my bill was $366.04. So that was nearly $500 in bills to pay. Fortunately, I can pay them. I have retirement income, so I can survive. But imagine many people who are in much worse circumstances than, than uh, me. So uh, that's uh, oh my situation as a typical rank-and-file Medicare recipient. The other thing that stabbed at me was the price of a drug that a uh, uh, urologist prescribed or had uh, wanted me to take. Uh, it was for uh, Rebetrix, one of these newly fangled named uh, pharmaceuticals. And I went to Kroger Pharmacy to ask about you know, paying thing that would be like all the other prescriptions I have. And they said it was $1,200. Mm. Of course, my jaw you know, was wide open when I heard that. $1,200 for, I think, three months of pills. And I thought, you know, damn it, I can't afford it. And I just, you know, refused to take it. it I didn't think it was necessarily urgent uh, prescriptions uh, to get because all it does is just uh, free my uh, urinary system or uh, basically uh, it, it opens it up. Uh, that was purpose of the drug, but still $1,200 for something that uh, you know probably was manufactured for a lot less. Yeah, you know, Larry. So, yeah, I just had uh, serious problems with, with that. So I, I can pay for the bills. And, but, uh, you know, this thing that uh, the credits only go so far, and the rest I have to pay for is like undermines the very purpose of Medicare. Right. Well, it's. And, it's- 
that's uh, yeah, Larry. That's tax. like what you pay for uh, your Medicare taxes all your life. Then you can expect that you will get free health care. Well, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. I think we're all getting uh, cheated, and uh, this is just one example. Uh, hey, Larry, if, I, if, if, if I could. Can you hear me? Yeah, hey, Larry, if I, if I could. You know, uh, for Medicaid patients or for recipients, you know, they, they sometimes get coupons at, at, the, at the pharmacies and stuff to help pay for those drugs. But there's what they call the anti-kickback statute within the Social Security Act. And what this does, if you're on Medicare Parts B or D, you cannot use any of those coupons um, for a discount. So, see, once again, there's another built-in mechanism that the pharmaceutical drug industry has put in there to, to hurt people of low-income uh, situations right there where normally you, you would be able to qualify to be able to get a, a coupon from the manufacturer of those drugs like that. But uh, th this is a very little known thing that they've got inside there for their protection that was within the Social Security Act. Yeah, and Larry raises an extremely important point, and that is that even though our Medicare is the best program we have, it's public, it virtually covers everyone once you get to age 65. And so it's inclusive and it spends only 2% on overhead, but it has many problems. And one of them is that there are co-payments, there are premiums, there are uh, monthly uh, things that people must pay. There are deductibles. It does, its drug program is not a Medicare-like program. It's a privatized program that does not really adequately cover our drugs at all. People fall in the donut hole, which only, only in this country does that happen, that you can fall in a donut hole, meaning that you have to pay full cost for your drugs. And uh, so it must be improved. We in the single payer movement are uh, persuaded that we must not just expand Medicare to cover everyone, but we have to improve Medicare to end those out-of-pocket costs that are not covering drugs, to add drugs and dental and eyeglasses and long-term care and all of the things that we need. Uh, so you're listening to Single Payer Radio, uh, brought to you by Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. We're ha happy to have you with us and we would encourage you to find out more about these issues. The group of people with you today are activists within that movement who spend a big portion of their lives trying to fight to build a country in which we have health care for everyone. Would anyone like to get in the last few words? Well, I always do. And that is, I think we have two minutes left or so in our time on forward. On, we love forward radio. Um, but uh, we're coming up on Medicare's anniversary. 
Help Me K, is it 57 years? I think so, 57 years old. Okay. And there will be a march in Washington on Saturday, uh, July the 29th, I think it is. 30th. 30th. Is it on the Saturday? And uh, the Medicare for All march. And if you can't be, if you can be there, great. But if you can't be there, you might want to go to, um, I think we have it on our website as well, M for M for all, and uh, you could donate to them if you, if you like. And of course, you can donate to Kentuckians for single payer, and you can donate to Forward Radio as well. All of them. All those awesome. things. All of, the, <laughs> all of the above are good causes, and Kirk has something. Yeah, you know, Harry was talking about the, uh, the the TV ads and all that we've seen out there in Medicare, you know, Bs and Cs. But the pharmaceutical drug industry in 2020, they spent $4.58 billion in TV ads, and there was another $2 billion exactly on other ads. So when you you look at the cost of them doing business, and I'm not a doctor. I can't write myself a prescription. Nobody else here can write themselves a prescription. But this is the money that they're spending to try to get us to go to the doctor just to say, you know, mate, doc, maybe we that, this is something we need. <laughs> well, I think people do see uh, they see um, drugs advertised on TV, and they go to their doctor and say, can't I have that? Mary. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say, as we're kind of wrapping up, um, I know I talked a lot about kind of where we started, where we've been and where we're going now. And I really want to drive home the fact that, you know, improvements, making improvements to um, our nation's health doesn't mean we stop just because we're maybe a little better off than we were in the 1800s doesn't mean that, you know, we don't keep fighting until everyone in this country has the medical care that they need free at the free at the point of service. Absolutely. That's what we need because we are the only wealthy country in the world that does not cover everyone. It is a disgrace to our nation and we have to change it. And that's what we work to do. And you can join us at Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. Look us up at kyhealthcare.org and become a part of this very uh, important drive to win the right of healthcare as a human right for everyone within the nation. So we thank you for being with us today. We urge you to join Single Payer Radio three times a week, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. You can go to forwardradio.org to listen live, or you can get it as an archive program. And uh, this is WFMPLP 106.5 FN in Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Great show, everyone. Um, if Listeners would like to learn more about the role that civil rights activists played in the passage of the Medicare program. It's a, it's a terrific book. It's called The Power to Heal, Civil Rights, 
Medicare and the struggle to transform America's healthcare system. David Barton Smith, terrific book. I'm sure our public library has it. There's also a documentary uh, based on the book. It's called The Power to Heal. Um, and Larry, um, Larry Hovkamp, I really appreciate you sharing your story. It's an example that only here in America, as patients are struggling with serious illnesses, the profiteers are right there with them, with their hands out, gouging us as they're making record profits. Over 100 million of us carry medical debt. It's 41% of adults here in, in the good old USA. So you can learn about getting involved with a group and resisting some of this nonsense. You can go to the website. There's information there, kyhealthcare.org. Uh, Kay and Harriet do a great job of keeping the Facebook and Twitter accounts up. And the group has been meeting by Zoom since COVID started. If you would like to uh, attend a meeting over Zoom, Kay would be very happy to send you an invitation. Uh, Kay's email address is nursenpo at aol.com, nursenpo at aol.com. Um, again, if you're interested, Kay would uh, be willing to answer any questions that you have. So I hope everybody has a good week for Single Payer Radio. I'm Mark McKinley. Thanks for listening.